welcome to another episode of Nipe Story. This is a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short stories from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mwachiro. Today, May 17th, is the International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia and Biphobia. And we're doing our part to mark the day here on Nipe Story. Nipe Story is proud to carry stories that celebrate all kinds of love and the diversity of that love. So here's Turkana's Can't Be Gay from the anthology Invisible Stories from Kenya's Square Community. I was born in northern Kenya near Lake Turkana 28 years ago. I'm the sixth of nine boys. I attended the local primary school along the shores of Lake Turkana. I was educated by missionaries who were based in our area. It was during my final years of my primary education that I started developing same-sex feelings. I found myself being attracted to other boys in my school. I was at a boys' boarding school at this time. I enjoyed sharing the bed with boys. I thought it was normal. I did not think twice about it. I did not think it was strange at all. When I was in high school, there was a guy who I used to sleep with. This sleeping obviously involved touching one another. At one time, he told me off, telling me I was not serious. It was his reaction that shocked me. And only then, I discovered that it was not all boys who had these feelings. At that time... I was frightened, worried, and confused. As I was close to my mother, I went to ask her what was happening to me. It was then that I came out to my mum. I told her all that had happened in school, revealing my attraction to men. She started saying that it was not good, saying it was Western, that it was unacceptable in our community, and that normal boys aren't meant to feel that way. Her response left me very dejected and rejected. I felt like the black sheep of the family and that my feelings were out of order. My mom suggested that I go for prayers and religious counseling, which led me to a Catholic priest who was posted to the local diocese. That didn't go very well, as the priest and I soon abandoned our sessions. I then went to another priest who was interested in my journey and I confided in him. He was Ugandan, interestingly. Eventually, we became friends and he became a confidant. Along the way, I asked him whether there were other people like me. He responded in the affirmative, but admitted that he had not met other gay people. By this time, I was 16 and had come to accept these feelings. It was this Ugandan priest who told me what being gay was, and he introduced me to the word gay. He also gave me novels that had gay themes to them, but they were sad and tragic books. I didn't like them, and I told him that I didn't want to read them anymore. Though I was getting frustrated and terribly conflicted, I had to come to terms with my sexuality. I knew there were other gay people out there, but my feelings were coming under religious condemnation. I was beginning to doubt whether anything was going to come out of the sessions with the Ugandan priest. I was struggling. 
around this time, I opted to get a girlfriend. We started dating, but it didn't last long as we had no sexual intimacy. Within no time, the relationship fell apart. I was keen on meeting someone besides the friendly priest who was experiencing the same feelings that I was going through. I had to be content with my friend, the priest. When I was in high school, I never experienced homophobia. I made a point of not carrying myself as gay. The word shoga was used to taunt some of my schoolmates or guys who may have been perceived to be gay. I felt bad for them, but I also felt scared for myself. So, I protected myself from being in the line of fire from those who picked on or bullied other people. Being in a boys' boarding school was challenging. I had to do things like shower on my own. I didn't want to draw attention to myself or put myself into any embarrassing situations. I worked hard not to raise any suspicions of being gay. I was still hoping that the feelings were going to disappear. Confusion raged within me. My friendship with the Ugandan priest lasted until my last year of high school, when he got transferred to another parish. I felt really alone. I had lost the confidence in a friend. He was the only person who knew who I really was and what my challenges were. It was only he and my mom who knew of my struggles with my feelings towards men. Besides dealing with this, there was mounting pressure for me to get married. My time had come. I thought my education would save me, but my father insisted that I should get married. I had cultural obligations to fulfill. Education, to him, was not going to stand in the way. We have age sets in our Turkana culture, that is, groups of boys who all get circumcised together. My group had all approached that age where we needed to get brides, though preceding that, we needed to get cattle for dowry payments. Now, I had to deal with the prospect of getting a bride in addition to participating in a cattle raid so as to raise my bride price. I had no other option but to join my age set on a cattle raid. Once this was done, I would have to get on with looking for a bride, then introduce myself to her parents, which was something I was not looking forward to. I did go on the raid and, and got my bride price, and so began the marriage negotiations. I was 18 at this time. Within no time, I was granted my bride. I was now a husband. I was given my wife and she came to our home. The following day, early in the morning, I told my mother that I was going back to school. Now that my wife was in the home, I had carried out what was expected of me. Hence, I went back to school, oblivious of my marital duties. I avoided going back home during the holidays, opting to live with friends. As my education was sponsored by the church, I was not dependent on my family for my fees nor upkeep while in school. After two terms, my mother came looking for me in school. When she arrived, she broke down, lamenting that she was the laughing stock of the village because I had abandoned my wife. My father was now holding her responsible for my lack of interest in the marriage. This almost led to the breakup of their marriage. There was pressure on my mother and in turn on myself. You must understand, with a wife now at home, I was expected to be starting a family and not be in school. 
this was the most difficult period in my life, and at that time, I even contemplated suicide. But because of the love that I had for my mother, I refused to entertain the thoughts of suicide. So, I proposed that I would go back home during the holidays, but she refused to hear of it. She was adamant, telling me that I could only continue with my education later on. It was time to be a husband, not a student. Thoughts on marriage, family expectations, my education and sexuality took a board in my mind, clashing and confusing me. With all, this thing, with all these things happening around me, I was afraid that my grades would take a beating and if I didn't do well academically, I would be at risk of losing my scholarship. This confrontation with my mother was taking place within sight of my headmistress, who then summoned me to her office and asked me why my mother was crying. I came out to the headmistress and told her everything. She was shocked and ordered me to get my belongings and leave the school. She didn't care that this was the most crucial time of my high school education. She was adamant that I leave the school, stating that homosexuality was not allowed. I tried pleading my case, hoping that my good behavior would change her mind. She would hear none of it. The headmistress went to the extent of threatening to call an impromptu school assembly and having me shamed in front of everyone. I didn't want this embarrassment and therefore agreed to leave the school. I left the headmistress's office, went and informed my mother that she had got her wish, as I'd now been expelled from school. But now, both my mother and I were crying. I was crying because I was being kicked out of school, and my mother was crying because I was crying. I think deep inside, my mother was glad about this new turn of events. I got my clearance card from the headmistress and went about going to the various departments in order to get the relevant signatures. When I got to the Bess's office, she was surprised that I was leaving school. By this time, I didn't care about who knew I was gay. I came out to her as well and told her everything. She was shocked as well and took pity on me. As she was close to the headmistress, she went and had a meeting with her. That meeting was long. When they were through, the headmistress came and told me that I should take my luggage back to the dormitory, saying I was totally confused. In my mind, I had resolved that I would stop my education and go home to my family, now that a door which I had thought had been shut in my face was suddenly reopened. Despite being offered a second chance, I proceeded to tell the headmistress that I didn't trust her and didn't feel safe being in school, now that she and the Bersa knew about my sexuality. I expressed concern that she would go and expose me to other members of the school fraternity. I was equally emotionally confused. My head and mind were everywhere. I was describing myself as abnormal and that I was wrong, feeling what I felt. I refused to accept the offer to go on with my education and went home with my mother. That night, I cried my eyes out. This made my new wife uncomfortable. I spilled the beans, telling her that I was attracted to men and not her. I assured her that I would never feel anything for her, nor was I going to sleep with her. I was very candid with her. You must understand that this was a simple, nomadic, Turkana girl. 
she too was fulfilling familial and cultural obligations. Dowry had been paid and there was no refund. I had now placed her in a dilemma. She could not go back to her family. She even offered to be my maid so as to stay with me. But this did not help me feel any better. The following morning, I took a drastic decision. I ran away because no one could understand me and the predicament that I was in. Armed with a bottle of water, I set out on a trek to my friend, the Ugandan priest. His new posting was almost 70 kilometers away from our home. It took me the whole day to get to the parish. This wasn't because of the distance, but because of the heat. The environment that I live in is hot, hostile, and harsh. However, I made it to the parish by dusk. He was surprised to see me when I got there that evening, wondering why I was there at his parish and not in school. I told him what had transpired over the last few days. He wanted me to finish school and therefore got me enrolled in one that was nearby. I went on to complete the academic year and consequently my high school. At this new school, there were two other boys who were from my village and they kept on pestering me, wanting to know why I had run away from home. My family was still unaware of my whereabouts. The Ugandan priest also wanted me to go back home since I had finished school, but I was not ready to return. However, I was close to one of the boys from our school and asked him to deliver a letter to my mother. It was accompanied with a photo of me. I sent the photo to act as proof that it was I who had written the letter. Soon after my mother had received the letter, she came to visit me at the Catholic mission. I must say she was relieved to see me, and I believe equally relieved to know that I was in the custody of the Ugandan priest. She informed me that my wife had now gotten married to my cousin. That had now freed me of that burden. No dowry had to be returned. I was single again. By this time, I decided that I was going to enlist in a seminary, as this would help to get rid of the feelings that I had. The prayer and the spiritual life, I believed, were going to heal me. When I got my exam results, I discovered that I'd done very well. The Ugandan priest was happy that I'd achieved good grades and urged me to consider university. I refused to entertain that thought. I was steadfast with my plans to join the seminary and I was not going to be convinced otherwise. I had met good seminarians and was attracted to their kind of life. You must understand that in Turkana, outside the church, the only other professionals that we came across were doctors and teachers, and the doctors and teachers that I had met were not good people. Being a seminarian was attractive than either of the two other professions. Although, to pursue this career, I had to get my parents' approval. That was not going to happen. By this time, I had moved back home. As I had not come out to my father yet, he had questions about me, wondering why I had rejected marriage and chosen not to start a family like the rest of my brothers. One of my relatives who had moved to Nairobi had come to the village. He knew about my good grades and was slowly trying to convince my parents that I should move to Nairobi to continue with my education. One evening, I had a talk with him and expressed my interest in wanting to continue with my education. In my mind, he was the only one who could save me. I told him of my intention to go to the seminary and wanted him to help get my parents' approval. He asked me why I wanted to join the seminary. I decided to tell him 
everything, and also came out to him. This was the first time I saw him cry. I'd never seen him shed a tear before. He asked me why I'd never told him what I'd been going through. I had no response for him. He declined to talk to my parents, saying that he too was against the idea of my going to join the seminary. He told me that by going to the seminary, I'd be running away from the same-sex feelings that I was having and that being in the seminary was not going to help me in my situation. He suggested that I join a college and by being in a mixed-sex environment, I'd be exposed to women and start dating. He believed that would help me with my same-sex feelings, noting that my first experience with my first girlfriend may not have been the right one for me. I needed exposure to other types of women, more mature and more exposed, according to him. I took time to think about this, spoke to my Ugandan priest friend, who quickly agreed to the suggestion of my enrolling in college. 2003 was the first time I left Lodwa. I went to Meru. It was different, green and cold. I'd come to this strange place and I was around 20 years old then. I had been enrolled at a teacher training college. I was meeting guys and girls. This was all new for me. I was being exposed to handsome guys who spoke, behaved and dressed differently. There were also ladies of all sorts surrounding me. It was funny that I was in college not because I wanted to become a teacher, but because it was felt that being in such an environment would kill me of my gay feelings. There was a girl whom I started hanging out with. She was fascinated by the fact that I was from Turkana. She had never met anyone from Turkana. We would sit next to one another in class and eventually spend lots of time together. I did get attracted to her. Yes, we started dating, though I would never get physical with her. I even told my foster brother that I had a girlfriend. I did this so that they could believe that things were getting back to normal. However, I dedicated all my time to my studies, avoiding getting myself into any odd situations with my lady friend. Before graduation, I decided to come out to her. We had become so close. So one weekend, when we had gone for an outing, I told her everything. She was really shocked. She noted that she had never known that men experience same-sex attraction. She had heard of lesbians, even admitting that she had met a lesbian who was attracted to her, though in her mind's eye, this was a Nairobi thing. Nairobi, she believed, was a place where these things were being taught. She asked me about who in Lodwa had taught me about homosexuality. I informed her that it was the way I felt that I had carried this feeling since I was in primary school. She was gracious in her response and said that our friendship would continue. Knowing that my graduation was approaching, I asked her to pretend to be my girlfriend when my family came over, knowing full well that this news would please my family. My plan worked and we were able to pull off the farce. When I went home, the pressure to get married made a comeback. My mother wanted me to settle down. My father was not pleased with the fact that I was interested in a girl who was from the city. He was afraid that she would bring some shame upon the family. 
The reason why he was hesitant was because when my mother came over for my graduation, my girlfriend was wearing a pair of trousers. This bit of news obviously made its way to him. He was worried that having a girl who wore trousers would not be looked on well among the members of our community. I was already the talk of the village with rumors going around stating that I was afraid of women and I didn't know how to seduce them. I was seen as weak in the eyes of my people. I told my father that this woman, who he described as a prostitute, was the one that I was going to marry and that I was in love with her. With this, I had hoped we would get to a standoff and stave off the pressure to get married. After some time, my father relented and told me to invite my girlfriend over. <laughs> Alas, my plan had failed. I had to think of something else. I fell back on the idea of joining the priesthood, deceiving my parents that I wanted to pursue higher education. My parents didn't see the value of education and questioned why I was insisting on this route. For a full year, I stayed at home, taking care of the animals and living a simple life. The nearest school that I could teach was at the very one that I had been kicked out of. I was not going back there. It was not going to happen. So I reverted to living our simple Turkana life. The year went by, but my parents, I think, were impatient with my state of inertia. They asked me what I wanted to do with my life, and I told them that I wanted to join a seminary. By this time, I thought it was best to come out to my dad, admitting to him that I didn't want to marry and that I was not attracted to women, which is why I wanted to join the seminary. I did not want to be a burden to him or my mother. He was shocked, very shocked, stating that this had never happened to anyone in our family, believing that it was a curse. He put me and two of my other brothers through a traditional cleansing ritual. His intention was to have us cleansed of any curses, past and possible. We were taken before a traditional healer for corrective treatment. Besides many rituals that we were put through, like being naked and smeared with blood, we ate lots of raw liver. We underwent this for almost a week. On our return home, I was convinced that I had been healed. I was free of the feelings. Then, one day, I came across a man whom I had a crush on for a long time. To my surprise, I was still drawn to him. I went back to my dad telling him that the ritual had failed. He was obviously disappointed and he asked me what I wanted and I told him that I still wanted to join the seminary. Dejected, he gave his consent and with the support of my foster brother, I was given his blessing to join the seminary. I joined a Jesuit program that was based in Nairobi. They have an induction program called Come and See, which lasted a month. There were 12 of us and obviously I was attracted to some of the guys. I had a spiritual formatter who is like a mentor and confident. After completing the induction, we were encouraged to disclose our struggles to them. I disclosed my gay feelings to the priest that was assigned to me and told him that I was struggling with them. He was an Asian priest. I think he was really taken aback by my news because he pushed our session to the following day. I was confused, thinking that by sending me away I was going to be rejected. I still believed being in the seminary would give me refuge from my feelings. Somehow, I was certain of this. The following day, to my surprise, he was supportive. 
He told me that he knew of other gay people even back in his hometown. I took this to be a good sign. I then proceeded to tell him my story. I told him everything. Interestingly, he doubted that I was gay because he found it difficult to fathom that a man from Turkana could be gay. All the other gay men he had met were from the cities. He helped me, feeding me with affirming literature on homosexuality, nothing that was sad or condemning. I told him that I was not going to read anything that didn't affirm me as an individual. It was during this period that I fully accepted that I was gay. It was also during my leave that I went back home and told my family that I had decided to join the priesthood. My mother was supportive of this decision. By now, I had accepted that I was normal, but I still chose to join the seminary to protect my family from the many questions that my community would pose to them. I had come from a respectable family. My parents had reared nine men, and that was something that was held in high regard. Seminary was a way out for me from societal pressure and a way of protecting my family. While at the seminary, I was part of a support group. But who would have thought that within this group, I would meet the man that I would have my first gay relationship with? It was my formator who had revealed to me that I was not the only gay person within the group. All of us in the group were gay. We were now supporting one another on how to deal with our feelings and also how to live a celibate life. It was not easy because feelings developed between my friend and me and we had become close. We managed to keep our relationship secret, though I suspect one of the fathers knew we were seeing one another. It was through my boyfriend that I started meeting other gay men. He knew other gay men and introduced me to them. We began to doubt that we would pull this double life off. Eventually, we got transferred to different schools to study philosophy. He went to South Africa and I went to Zambia. I think this was done deliberately to separate us. Meeting other gay men was very affirming. I'd been told horror stories about homosexuals, that homosexuals were rapists, sex workers, displaced peoples, and extortionists. Now I was meeting gay men both in and outside the seminary, and they were normal like me. This was one of the happiest moments of my life. Sharing our experiences during the support group helped build me and strengthen me as an individual. I knew that I was not alone. I was no longer alone. It is not just me. It is us. Just to let you know, Brizan is an activist based in northern Kenya. Invisible was compiled by yours truly here and is part of the Contact Zone series by the Goethe Institute in Nairobi and Native Intelligence. Invisible is about telling the story of being queer in Kenya and takes you from northern Kenya, as you've just had, to the west, to the central region, to Nairobi, and to the coast. On this episode, I'd want to acknowledge Kenyan artists of all genres who are using their work to break boundaries and tell stories that celebrate difference and sexual and gender diversity. The Nest with Stories of Our Lives, Wanuri Kahio with Rafiki, Kaz Lucas, The Ishtadols, MDQ, the TRTL Artist Collective, 
Georgie Barrow, and many others. Thank you. Nipa Story is available to download from your preferred podcast platform and please do me a favor, write a review and rate the podcast so that others can find us easily. Tell your friends about us. Plus, you can follow Nipe Story here on SoundCloud, Facebook and on Twitter. Our handle on Twitter is Nipe underscore story. We'll see you in two weeks. Nipe Story is a finger piano production.